Good morning, guys. Thanks so much for coming. So in the song that we just sang, I'm no longer a slave to fear. Another way that we could put that is that we're brave, right? If, if we don't have fear. Well, today I'm going to share with you some things that Jesus has been teaching me over the last six years, and he has been asking me to move beyond brave. This whole process of um, engaging with orphans actually began for me back in 2010 when God asked me to engage in the lives of HIV AIDS orphans in Africa. And that is a really long story, so I'm not going to tell it. But basically in 2010, I traveled by myself over to a small country in southern Africa called Swaziland. And Swaziland is known as a nation of orphans because of the AIDS HIV epidemic. And I traveled over there by myself, met up with some nonprofits to kind of scope out what they were doing, ultimately partnered with one, and God has graciously blossomed a beautiful partnership between K2 the church and a small rural community in Swaziland called Ekudzeni, which over a hundred of you in this congregation have actually traveled to in the last three years. And most recently, God gave my family and I an invitation to live in Swaziland for three months. And so my husband and myself and my three young children, we actually spent this past summer living in Swaziland to serve alongside, learn from, and love on our friends there. And there's going to be some pictures scrolling behind me that um, were taken while we were serving there together as a family this summer. But as you can imagine, we learned a lot. But as we were preparing for the seasonal move, and even as I was preparing in 2010 to travel to Swaziland by myself, one of the common comments I got was, ah, you're so brave. <laughs> well, only I know what went on inside my head and heart in both of those preparation periods, but the definition of being brave is to endure unpleasant conditions without showing fear. And if that's the definition that we're gonna adhere to today, I wasn't brave. I had plenty of fear. I had plenty of anxiety in this process. And you know, we can also talk about being brave in terms of steps of faith, stepping out into the great unknown. And that is good, and that is biblical, and there is a place for that. But Jesus has been teaching me that it's not enough, and you need to move beyond being brave. It was in 2010 that I be became keenly aware of the verse in James. It's James 1.27, and it says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And as I just kind of marinated in that scripture, it became really clear to me that this is actually not optional. If I'm claiming to be a Christian, if I'm claiming to be a Christ follower, this is actually a mandate. And I felt and feel the weight and responsibility of that, realizing that the authenticity of my religious claim is to be tested, in some sense at least, by my relation to those in need. That my engagement or lack thereof with the orphans and widows was in some sense a litmus test to the legitimacy of my faith and follow through of what Jesus taught. See, there are hundreds of verses about caring for the poor and the orphan and the widow. Another one is 1 John 3, 17 that says, whoever has earthly possessions and notices a brother in need and yet withholds his compassion from him, how can the love of God be present in him? So I've been wrestling with these things and guys, I've never given a message before and the only real credential I have to stand 
before you today is that I'm learning a lot because I have so much to learn. So I'm going to share with you the four things that God has been teaching me really over the last few months. And I'm, there's really no order that these go through, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through these lessons in the order that Jesus has been walking me through them. And the first one is that we need to show up. Now listen, we can show up in different ways. We can show up physically and actually make ourselves present to help and to engage. We can also show up with our unique talents and gifts that God has given us. We can work behind the scenes to help propel an initiative that is already underway. We can also work on the front lines of an initiative. We can give generously with our resources. We can do one of these things, we can do all three of these things, but if we are claiming to be Christians, what we can't do is none of them. And so if we're going to look at this as basically the arena of what's going on in the world, many of us, myself included, have the tendency to sit in our seats and point at all the things that are going wrong in the world, and we like to pretend that we wear black and white striped shirts and have a whistle, and we are the referees in this game calling out what is going wrong. But we actually don't have the right to do that if we're not willing to get in the game. So what Jesus has been teaching me is I have to put away my whistle, get off of my seat, and get in the game. Lesson number two. Poverty is deceiving. Many of us have a really kind of uh, short-sighted idea of what poverty is, and we limit its scope to the lack of material possessions, the lack of food or water, or shelter, clothing. And yes, that is poverty, but there are actually other types of poverty. There is emotional poverty, there is spiritual poverty. And I am not here today to tell you that one is more or less important, or one is more dire or less dire than the other, but it is critical for us to understand poverty in its entirety. You see, all too often, we misdiagnose poverty by only treating the symptoms, and the symptoms are the lack of the tangible items, but we ignore the root causes, which are broken relationships. You see, poverty at its most basic level are broken relationships, and those can be broken relationships with God, with others, with ourself, with creation. Poverty, in essence, is a lack of hope, and it's a lack of opportunity, and that can be economic or educational, religious, relational. And I can tell you that God has really used serving in Swaziland to open my eyes of the magnitude of what poverty is, because if I'm being honest, when I first traveled over there, I really had a limited view of what poverty was, and I thought it was only the lack of material items. But there are so many examples that God has used to just really open my eyes to the reality of what poverty is. Oftentimes, my family and I this summer, we would squeeze into this little truck and we would drive for hours on these pothole-ridden red dirt roads out into these rural areas to serve. And as we were driving, all around us would be the classic vision of poverty, if you will. The stick and mud huts, the children with tattered clothing, the um, just uh, people within close proximity of one another. It just, it felt dire. Yet, there were so many times, often on Sunday mornings, that I would get thrown for a loop because I would see these Swazi women in five-inch rhinestone-studded heels and these gorgeous suits and these lovely hats walking around on these dirt roads in the middle of nowhere in these impoverished communities. And I just, for the life of me, it 
I couldn't figure it out. But see, I actually can't identify poverty with my eyes. And just as I was looking at those women, to me it looked like they were in poverty, but that wasn't the case with so many of them. They still went home to their huts and not knowing where their next meal came from. So my eyes couldn't identify their poverty. It's deceiving. On the other side of the coin, I have spent so much time in my friends' homes in Swaziland and in their huts, and they are scraping together whatever they can to survive physically, yet when I spend time with them, they are rich in joy, in love, in hope, and my experience with them, God has painfully revealed to me my own poverty. And you see, it's no different actually over there than it is here because we have the same ability to ignore or hide our own. You see, our idea of who the orphan and the widow is actually might be unrealis unrealistically narrow. The orphan is not just the child in Swaziland who's lost their parents to the HIV AIDS epidemic. It could be the neighbor child right next to you whose parents are physically here, but they have emotionally abandoned that child. The widow is not necessarily just the woman co cooking over an open flame in a developing country. It could be the woman sitting shoulder to shoulder with you right now who just lost her, f her husband to cancer. And you know, the, the person in poverty is not just the homeless guy who's holding the sign for food. As you see on the on-ramp to I-15, it could just as likely be the person driving the nice car living in the big house at the end of the cul-de-sac because that person might be so emotionally and spiritually poor that they are at the end of their rope. So what we grow accustomed to can really desensitize us and we can miss what's going on around us. When my family and I first um, went through the border in Swaziland, we had committed to live in a cabin in Swaziland, sight unseen, and we were gonna call it our Swazi home for three months. So that was a bit of a step of faith. We, we weren't sure what we were getting into, but as we were looking at the GPS, we realized that we were just a few miles away from our Swazi home. But as we were getting closer and closer, we started to drive through a really rough community. And if I'm looking, if I'm being honest, I looked around and I was getting scared. And I had emotions welling up in me in terms of our safety and, and even the well-being of the people that I was seeing there. All these people packed into tight proximity with these crumbling buildings and open fires and a look of desperation. And something welled up inside me and I had an emotional reaction to that. Now, our little cabin that was nestled between a sugarcane plantation and a pineapple farm ended up being a lovely place for us to call home. But do you know what happened as I kept driving through that community nearby? Day after day and week after week and month after month, I stopped seeing it. That poverty that was so apparent to me in the beginning, I stopped seeing. I became numb to it. I had no emotional reaction as I was driving through. And I gotta be honest with you, when I realized that, it shook me to the core. How could I not see what had once stirred something in me so deeply? And Jesus used that and asked me to beg myself the question, what are you missing, Sally? I'm missing a lot. I'm missing a lot. 
because it doesn't matter if I am in Swaziland or sitting here at K2 The Church. I have the ability to be shoulder to shoulder with poverty and not even see it. So being aware of our own poverty is a critical step in being able to love others as God loves us. And acknowledging our own poverty helps us keep our hearts in efforts, in healthy alignment, in understanding that we are not the Savior, only God is. We need to be aware of what poverty actually is and brave enough to show up. But even if we successfully identify what it is and arrive, if you will, more is needed to actually care for those who are suffering. Lesson number three. Proximity does not equal compassion. See, I moved myself and my husband and my three young kids to the other side of the world to put myself in close proximity with people who in every sense of the word were experiencing poverty. <laughs> I didn't necessarily feel like loving them every day. I was right there. And there were so many days that I didn't feel it. And what Jesus has been teaching me is that I can't muster up compassion on my own. And guess what? I wasn't meant to. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, it says, Praise be to God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just meant to be expressed or explained. It's meant to be experienced. Because we can't experience God's compassion unless we first understand our own poverty. And we can't give compassion unless we have first received God's compassion. So bravery is good. Steps of faith are good. But what I painfully realized is that it's all too possible to arrive at a destination, to spend time with a certain person or a group of people, to volunteer in a certain capacity, but to arrive and actually be empty and ineffective at caring for and ministering to those in need because the reality is proximity does not equal compassion. So we've identified a need, we've taken a step to address the need, we've shown up, We've at least put ourselves into close proximity, but now what? The fourth lesson. We must be brittle. We must be brittle. We must be easily broken, and our hearts need to be primed with the compassion we have received from God and ready to break for those he has put into our path. You see, we need to be so in tune with Jesus' heart, which is so tender towards the orphan and the widow and the refugee and the poor, that our heart will break at a moment's notice alongside his so that we can pour out the compassion he has so graciously poured into our lives. We see this reality in Jesus' life in terms of just the miracle of being broken and brittle. 
We look in Matthew 15 where Jesus is at the Sea of Galilee and he's been healing people and teaching people and he says, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse along the way. His disciples answered, what could we, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when they had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those who ate was 4,000 men besides women and children. Jesus wasn't just within close proximity with the people. He had compassion on them, but then, then he took what he had and he broke it and he gave and it was multiplied. You see, something must be broken before there is abundance and a gift cannot be multiplied unless it is shared. When Jesus was predicting his own death to the disciples, he says, Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Guys, Jesus broke his body on the cross for us so that we might live for what is true and right. That is a gift. A seed must be broken before new life can grow. Jesus broke the bread. He broke his own body. Things are broken before the miracle occurs and things have to be broken to be multiplied. And the same is true for us. The same is true for our hearts and our lives. When we are brittle before God, it moves us from being a bystander to a participant in the restoration process. God meets us in our own poverty. He lavishes his compassion on us. And when he breaks our hearts for others, the cycle of poverty begins to break. It's that process where poverty is truly addressed. And relationships, dignity, opportunities, and hope are actually restored. When our eyes are lifted to Jesus, our own poverty is exposed, brought into the light, and that is where the healing can begin for everyone. You see, we need God to put cracks in our own selfish pursuits so he can usher us to love others in our lives. In Isaiah 58.10, it says, If you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. I think a lot of us feel like we're in a dark place a lot of the time. That we're stuck, that we can't get out, that we're on this merry-go-round of trying to scrape our way out of this vicious cycle that sometimes feels like an empty faith. And we're desperate to experience the fullness of what the Bible promises, the fruits of the Spirit of love, joy, peace. And we can't can't figure out why we're not experiencing the fullness of God. Well, He wants to create us, or He wants to use us for the purpose that we were created for. But He can't do that unless we're brittle. And so when I think about this, bear with me here. 
think about glow sticks. And it's because Halloween last week, my kids were getting ready to go trick-or-treating and I wanted them to be safe while they were trick-or-treating in the dark. And so I bought some glow sticks. And so I had this bowl of glow sticks at the ready and I kind of forgot about them admittedly, but then my kids were getting ready to go trick-or-treating and so they were running out the door. And so the opportunity was there, the need was there as they were walking out, but I had to move quickly before they left. And so I, I rummaged around in my bowl and so I, I, I picked the thick ones. And I'm like, oh, these will be great, these will be great. And I, I could, have you guys tried to break these? These are so hard. Okay, so I could not break these for the life of me. So what do I do with these thick ones that I cannot break? Do I use them? No, time is of the essence. I put them, I put them aside and they sit there on you. So then I, then I look around. Oh, oh, okay, I've got, these are, these are brittle. These are brittle. Oh my gosh, wow. Okay, they're working. Look at this. Look at this. I've got all of these that are at the ready, at the ready for their potential to be released and to be used in the moment for their intended purpose to protect my kids as they go out, right? So I am using the ones that are brittle and easily broken and at the ready, and I am not using the ones that I could not break and could not release the light that was within them. Guys, Isaiah 58.10, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. You feeling stuck? Feeling burnt out? This is one way that God invites us to get out of that vicious cycle. Only God can unleash our full potential to love others. Our ability is limited. And that's why we burn out, because we can't do this stuff on our own strength, and we weren't intended to. So when we are brittle, God breaks our vision of what our own life should be. And he has to make us aware of our own poverty before we can begin to receive his compassion. Being broken breaks the cycle of poverty when we are broken for others and brokenness yields new life. So now what? So Jesus has been teaching me this and it's been a painful process if I'm being honest. But maybe some of the stuff that he has been asking me to do in terms of moving beyond brave, maybe he's asking you to do the same. And that's going to look different for every single person here. For those of us who are Christians, we need to ask God for him to reveal our own poverty. And he needs to give us eyes to see the orphan, the widow, the poor, and the refugee as he wants us to see them. And that it's through that realization that we will accept God's compassion so that we can pour out our compassion to others and that our hearts will be primed and easily broken at the ready to engage with those that God has called us to and that we would actually engage. If you guys are here just checking out what this whole Christianity thing is about and you're wondering who God is, I would ask you to consider taking a step to engage in something that is near and dear to God's heart because it is in that process that he will reveal more of himself to you. Listen, I understand that traveling to Africa or adopting is not what everyone is called to do. And please hear me when I say I'm not insinuating that it is. But what I am saying is that God absolutely, undoubtedly, wired each person in this room uniquely to engage in this. And the possibilities are practically limitless of how 
any of us could creatively take a step into this. What has he uniquely gifted you to do? I promise you, the answer is not nothing. So let's not put God in a box. Let's not put ourselves in a box. And let's, let's stop pointing at the things that we aren't equipped to do, and let's start doing the things that we are. In just a minute, Eric Winter, our director of outreach here at K2, is going to come up and talk to us about some of the things that K2 is doing and some really fun opportunities that all of us have to engage in this. But may we just remember that when our God-given potential is released, just like these glow sticks, and when it is shared with the rest of the world, the cycle of poverty will begin to break for not just us, but the others around us. And if we're not going to do this as Christ followers, then who is? This is not insurmountable. We are not alone in this. So let's do this together. Let's rely on a mighty God. And let's move beyond being just brave and invite God to work through our brittleness to bring restoration to us and the rest of this world. Thank you.